many of y'all ever been tricked before? Anybody ever been tricked? Some of you are like, I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> what the heck? They said we were going to brunch. This isn't brunch, it's coffee. But it's coffee with a cause, right? So, uh, well, it's good to have everybody here. In case you're new, if this maybe is your first time tuning in or maybe being here in the room or you're out in the atrium enjoying the sunlight or out on the patio today, thank you for being here. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor uh, here at Crossroads. It's great to have you uh, be a part of this moment in time with us. Uh, hey, listen, if you are a guest today or newer or if we've never had coffee, I would love to do that. I'd love to get to know you, answer any questions you might have inside the program there is my cell phone number. Just text me. Uh, please include some information because you're not in my phone. So just say, hey, I was at church and I'd love to get to have coffee and grill you and ask you all kinds of questions about this crazy church that I came and visited. And uh, I'd love to do that, go have coffee with you. I th- I'm going to do this. I, I, just look around. How many of you in the room have actually ever had coffee with me? You took me up on the offer. Just look around. People actually do this, okay? So it's, uh, it's not a trick. And how many of you had to buy? What are you talking about? Wait. That's not even accurate. People are lying in church. Rich did have to buy. I make Rich buy every time we go. He deserves it. I know there's some, some bit of purgatory in there. I don't know. But... Uh, no, it, seriously, it, it really is one of the things I love to do. I love to meet everybody, just get to know you. So if, you, if you'd like to do that, just shoot me a text message. Uh, how many of you have ever experienced FOMO, fear of missing out? Some of you are right now experiencing that. You saw those hands go up that have coffee with me, and you're like super scared of missing out on the opportunity because it sounds like so much fun, right? FOMO, fear of missing out. It's a real thing, and some of us experience it more than others, right? Some of us are perfectly content, kind of like myself, to let life happen around me, right? I do, I like just kind of like find a book, find a space by myself, and I'll be fine for the most part, you know? But we do live in this world of FOMO, and it's kind of grown as we can look at other people's lives through the lens of social media. Uh, how many of y'all have a social media account of any kind, just some kind out there that can keeps you connected and form? We all have one of those. And we get to look through the lens of social media, and most of us recognize on social media we put our best stuff, right? We put our best stuff out there. We want everybody to know what an amazing day it was. Like, I, I, sometimes we put when the cookies burn, but most of the time we're putting like the perfect thing that could go like on the cover of Country Cooking Magazine, you know, or if you garden, you like get to show the garden when everything's in full bloom, right? We don't take the pictures of the weeds, right? That's generally not what happens. And so we look around us oftentimes, and if we're honest, we say things like, how do they do it? How do they keep all that? They have such the perfect life. If you ever looked at somebody's like, life from a distance. It feels that way. In my line of work, like it's kind of public, and there's a phenomenon that has happened over the last, say, 30 or 40 years within this industry. I know nobody likes to think of like church world as an industry, but I hate to break the news to you. It is. Um, And you look, and I would see like my own colleagues that are out there, and you know, you would see, and you'd think like, how do they do it? You know, and there's this sense of like jealousy that emerges inside of us and we look at their lives and they seem to have it all together. Like in my world, you have like the people leading big organizations or big churches and they're writing books and all their kids are perfect. They look the same, right? They just, they're, they are involved in everything. And I look at it, you know, it's, everything is perfect, right? They just have it all together. And I would think like, how do they do that? Like my life is a mess. It's an absolute mess. And then what happens in my line of work, because 
my line of work tends to, because of people being in leadership in a faith environment, there's not as much grace when you make a mistake, you know what I'm talking about? And so it's, it's wonderful news to go out there when like someone in church leadership makes a mistake, right? They do something they shouldn't have, right? Most of you, if you go to work, if, if somebody's marriage uh, ends up falling apart or struggling or something happens or an affair, like that's not put on the bulletin board. It just happens in the background. Like in my world, that's like big news. It's out there, right? And that's what happens. Like I would see it. Like I'd watch somebody's life and you kind of start to feel like, oh, look, I wish I could have what they have and look at all that they can do. They wrote four books last week. How did they do it? How did they do it? I can't even read a book. And then everything starts to fall apart and it starts to crumble and then you realize there's a con going on here because they didn't have it all together, that there was something out of balance, right? There was something. In, and then I would hear stories about how like this, oh, they, they leveraged this technology or there was this ghostwriter involved or there was, I mean, I would hear all the stories. And then you see as the like house of cards starts to crumble apart and you go, there is an illusion that takes place here. And it's not just in my world, it's in your world too. There's the illusion that we can have it all, that we can do it all, that there are no limits in our lives. And what drives that illusion is our love of this thing called progress, right? Progress is an illusionist, right? Y'all ever been to like a magic show these days? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, there's, is there a magic show up at the uh, Stanley Hotel that's still up there? Or is it just an old bulletin board that they haven't changed since I've been here? <laughs> if you ever driving up to Estes Park, right before the dam store, there's like this big sign for this amazing illusionist that's at, at the Stanley Hotel at Estes Park. And I wonder, does it actually exist or is it just has not been changed in, in a decade? I don't know. But illusionists are fun to watch, right? We love the magic trick, right? We love, we love going, how do they do that, right? Well, there is an illusionist out there called progress. And progress has played all kinds of tricks on us. Progress has fooled us into thinking that we can get enough money, we can get enough knowledge, we can move forward in our technologies, not just, you know, digital technologies, but new inventions, new ways of doing things, that all of a sudden life can be beautiful. Now, here's the thing, like progress in and of itself is not bad, right? But progress deals mainly with our physical and our cognitive world. Right? So the technologies that are produced or that have been produced, say, over the last hundred years in your life, think about most of them deal with how we can accomplish more in the day, right? They deal with how we can get the bigger television. How many of all, you're old enough to remember when you could first afford a flat screen television? Right? You remember that? Right? I remember cleaning houses, okay? I had just finished up grad school, and, you know, I don't know, like at that time in my career, wasn't making a whole lot of money, so it was like, you know, we were having babies, and it was like, I got to go make some more money, and there was somebody who had a house cleaning business. I went and cleaned houses. I loved it. It was great. It was actually something in my life. I felt like I accomplished something, right? My line of work feels like you never finish anything, so it was great, but I remember going into these houses, right, and like at the time, it was unheard of to see a flat screen TV, and there'd be a flat screen TV on the, like, wall. And they were like eight, nine, ten thousand dollars just 25 years ago. And then like gradually over time, what happens, right? Progress sets in, technology. Now, like, can you even buy a television that's not a flat screen? No. I mean, at a garage sale, you probably could. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way, if you're a tube television person, no judgment here, right? I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to be offensive. But like, that's where the realm of progress hits us, right? There's new resources that come in. There's these sophisticated financial products to help us know that we should have, you know, bought Bitcoin in 2009 and sold it in 2018 or whatever. I don't know. 
But they all deal in this stuff, like time management tools, communication tools. How many of you work at a company that leverages a tool like Slack, right? No? No? Yeah, see, Slack is out of date now, right? Or maybe it's so far into date, you don't know. It's just, what is that, Brian? But we develop these new technologies so that we think we can just do more with the same amount of time. But here's the issue. Most of the pain in our life, the true pain in our life, is not in the physical. It's not in, in that world, but it's in our spiritual lives, right? Or you can think of it as your social emotional life, depending upon where you are, right? I think it's all describing the same reality. That's where the pain exists. And so in a sense, progress moves to a point where we can get more done in the day, let's say, and our houses get bigger, our wallets get fatter, our cars are faster, our brains are smarter. But at the end of the day, progress has really not much to say about the heart of the deal, the most important things in our lives. And that's the con. That's the con that progress just puts out there for us. That if we can just get the next thing, if we can put the next time management tool in, if we can put the, the next best technology, if I can just get the next iPhone, then I'll get my up-to-dates faster, right? And that progress, like all of that stuff is good. It's not necessarily bad, but all of these things, internets, there's only one, I guess. <laughs> it's like the Facebook, right? All of these things, cars, airplanes. These are all elements of progress. Shopping malls, Amazon, fast food, right? These, these things that move us forward, medical technologies, these are all wonderful things. They're all a result of progress, but at the end of the day, they all have a negative side to them. How many of you would suggest and say that it's not an unfair statement to say that the internet has a negative side to it? Like, I'm not revealing anything brand new here, right? I'm not a super insightful person, you know? But these things, while they have good, they have also have a shadow side to them. And so, in a sense, the problems that we face, to some degree, are a product of the record pace of progress. And progress just pushes our limits and pushes our limits and pushes our limits, almost to the point that they've never been pushed. I've never worked in an environment, and I've never honestly led an environment where a tool has emerged that allows you to get like 20% more productive in an hour. I've never worked in that environment where then I got that 20% off. Right? It's not like they said, oh, this is fantastic. Now if you can work 30 hours a week and get the same amount of work done in 40 hours a week. That's awesome. Go. No, what's expected? You got to up it, right? Because at the end of the day, we want to believe that there are not limits and progress can erase that. But everything has limits. Our objective items in the world, like bridges and roads and facilities like this building, they have limits. The carpet, if you look around, you can tell it has limits, right? <laughs> Some of you are looking at the carpet and you're going, I got to give in the offering, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying, right? It's, it's limited, but our, our subjective items also have limits to what they can bear. Things like friendships, right? Working relationships. They're very subjective, but there's just a limit to how much weight, how much stuff can be put on them. And in our everyday normal lives, what happens is we pile on and we pile on and we pile on because we've fallen prey to this greatest con. And the ultimate con that progress puts out there is that with progress, our limits can disappear. That if, there, if we can just get the new technology, if we can just figure out this solution, then what will happen is the limitations that we have will disappear. And so we start to live like that, right? We start to live as if we don't have any limits. 
And when we don't recognize that there are limits in our lives, we start to experience pain. The pressure starts to build up. And we experience that pain and we give words to it, like stress and overload. If we're honest, we've all had those moments where we just go, I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. Four out of five people, they report the need to lower their stress. Four out of five people go, man, my life is out of control. I get too much stress in it. I've got to lower it. And stress is like the body's like physical response oftentimes to a circumstance. It's not the circumstance itself, right? Because you can put two people in the exact same circumstance and how they respond is very different, right? We can put two people stuck in traffic on their way to the airport, right? At the exact same moment in time and their response could be very different. Why? Because one person left with 30 minutes before their flight and another person left with three hours before their flight right? And how you respond in that moment is completely different. That's the stress. And so continual stressful circumstances in our lives that we don't navigate positively lead to burnout. We get overloaded, we get stressed, and we get burned out in a couple, in, in a couple of areas of our lives. This happens psychologically. It happens in our social, emotional, mental space. Physical burnout, our bodies quit. They just say, enough. It happens in our behavioral realities. And you know it. It's just that something inside of us breaks. Y'all ever been around somebody when something breaks? Yeah, not a good time. We have a word like, they just snapped. It's a good metaphor. You don't know what happened. All you did was ask them to unload the dishwasher, and they just snapped. What happens? They hit overload. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because all of a sudden, what's required of us is more than we can bear, and something breaks. It's just too much on the system. And what happens is we encounter that thing, that overload, that breaking moment, that point, because ultimately, somewhere along the way, we forgot that we've been designed with limits. Right? So use whatever word you want, God, the universe, evolution, this ultimate reality that ends up forming us the way we are, is with limits. And overload will manifest in every one of us when we start to live in a space where we forget, we ignore the idea that we have limits. And how does this manifest itself? How does overload experience, right? It's usually hostility. One of my favorites is blaming Anybody want to admit to being a blamer when you start to get overloaded? Come on now, right? You don't care about the solution. It's far more important to figure out who was the problem, right? You let it go long enough, resentment builds up. It doesn't matter whether it's traffic, whether it's just the competition at work, whether it's competition in the neighborhood, when the neighbors pull in with a new car. It just doesn't, at some point, it catches up to us. And here's the thing, what disappears, right? What this con puts into our lives is that in the moment's time, like you won't even know it happens, but what will happen is this, your relationships will disappear right before your eyes. Overload. That moment, that when we bear that, what happens 
is relationships disappear. See, relationships are the collateral damage of overload. And there's something inside of you that like, you just, you felt that at a, at a space that was like not good because maybe you've been through it. Maybe you've had a relationship that fell apart. And like, maybe it was just in this moment, it was like, that's what it was. I pushed my limits. I lost this relationship. Or they pushed their limits and lost the relationship. But that's what happens in the space of overload, family, friends, work relationships, people that work for you, people who you work with. They all suffer. And even our relationship with God, what we call God, suffers. Our relationship with the reality that is greater than us suffers because we've put so much on our lives because we just think progress, 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 progress. So we're all kind of familiar with the trick, and it took about 15 minutes to expose it, right? But how many of y'all know it's not that easy to avoid it, (laughs) right? We can recognize it, we can talk about it, and we know the pain, we can feel it inside of ourselves when we talk about it, because we know what it's like to be there. It's, It's actually pretty easy to understand. But implementing strategies to avoid it, that's a totally different story. Totally different story. And there is some wisdom around this, like, fundamental idea of limitations that we find in our scriptures, John, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says this. He's talking about the devil. Now, remember, like, I know some of us in the room can take that word very literally, and some of us can take it metaphorically. But what, what's being talked about here is something that is true beyond whether we take it literally or metaphorically. But Jesus said, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks in character because he is a liar and the father of lies, right? The big truth here that Jesus, that John is revealing is that there is is a, a reality in this world that is set on destruction. There is a reality. We call it evil, call it the devil, call it selfishness, call it whatever you want. There is a reality that persists that is bent on destruction, that's bent on 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 misdirection. And there have been lies throughout human history that just persist. And I do think that one of the primordial lies is that you can live without limit. And we get this from like the Jewish creation myth that we inherit within Christianity that speaks to like some of the biggest core realities of like our existence. And in Genesis chapter 3, there's like a hint of this in the story of the serpent, right, that speaks to the the woman in the garden. And as the the serpent is talking to the woman, right, the snake says to the woman, you're not going to die if you eat the fruit, right? If you're familiar with the story, he says, God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like the gods who know good and evil, right? There's a promise in there that you don't have to have a limitation, that you can be whatever, you, you can live and exist and encounter this world just like the gods, right? There's a lie of, of limitlessness inside of it. But what's fascinating is just one chapter earlier in Genesis, we see this beautiful story of creation, Right? And in this beautiful story of creation, there's a sense of order and there's a sense of of purpose. There's goodness. I love it. Over and over in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you have like something being created and the divine saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. 
And then it comes to a culmination in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, and it says, the heavens and the earth and all their array were completed. And on the seventh day, God completed all the work that God had been doing, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had undertaken. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested, rested from all the work that God had done. Now, some of us think that God ceased creating on the seventh day, right, in the story. I'm not saying you're saying literally, but we know the story, and we're like, oh, yeah, on the seventh day, God didn't do anything. No, no, no. On the seventh day, God created margin. God created margin. This God is described as infinite and powerful and speaking things into existence. Could have, but didn't. That's margin. I could have, but I don't. That's how margin is created, to leave space. You don't have to, right? You don't have to, but you choose to, right? You choose to not when you could. That's the heartbeat of margin, to leave space for rest and reflection. And we're made in that image. As a follower of Jesus, as a person who experiences God through the Christian tradition, I believe that, that that there is an image that we bear, that when we live in the reflection of that image, that's the healthiest we can possibly be. So we have to accept at some way that there will always be more that we could do. There will always be tension. There will always be something we could spend money on. There will always be a way to do something faster. But just because we can do it doesn't mean that there isn't going to turn into another way. That there's always going to be lack. There's always going to be a gap. There's always going to be a space of tension. And what margin does when we put it into our lives, it exposes the con. As soon as we put it into our lives, we see it. It's like a pair of glasses that you put on and then you just see the world differently when we start to put it into. And so in our everyday, normal, peacemaking lives, margin is that space. It's that space between your load and your limits in any arena of your life. You have arenas in your life, right? You've got relationships and you've got finances and you've got your spiritual life and you have your calendar. These are arenas that we live in. And margin is the space between the load that we put onto those spaces and the limits that they can bear. It's the actual opposite of overload, right? Margin is the opposite of overload. It's underloading, <laughs> right? So if, if to be in overload mode is to live at 120% in one of those areas, right? Finances is a great way to talk about this because most of us live at 120, 130% finances, right? We live at that 19.9 APR, Thank you, MasterCard, right? So overload is living, then margin is the idea of living at 80%. Living at 80%, right? So for those of you that are math buffs, you take your power, what you can actually do in life, you minus the load that you have to put onto it, and that's your margin, right? So the only way to increase margin is to increase your power or to decrease your load. And the lie is, oh, let's just increase our power with progress. Let's increase what we can bear in our lives. But all that does is address physical realities. All that does is address these, these, these ideas of finances or what we can know. It doesn't actually address the spiritual realities. You can't, in some sense, it's very difficult to increase that load because we're just wired so much. And so over the next five or six weeks, I want to dig, take a deep dive into some of these arenas of our lives, right? So how many of you are physical beings? Raise your hand up nice and high. You would say you're flesh and blood, right? That's good. So we're going to talk about margin in our physical health. 
Like, is there a divine pattern to that? Is there some wisdom that we can gain from our tradition, from our spiritual heritage, from our scriptures that can help us understand what does it look like to put margin in our physical health so we don't live at 120%? How many of you have ever spent money before? Spent a little money, saved a little money, you have finances. We're going to talk about margin in our finances, okay? What does that look like? Do we have any wisdom that we can glean right, principally from our scriptures, from the world around us, to put that into our lives. Anybody in the room ever cried? Anybody ever laughed? Anybody ever not wanted to get out of bed in the morning? We're emotional people, spiritual people, so what does it mean to have margin in our emotional and spiritual health, right? I want to take some time and look at that. And then how many of you have a calendar that you keep? Anybody got a daytimer? Who are the hardcore daytimer, like pencil writers? You got the pencil writer daytimer. Come on now. Hang on. Just hang on. I love it. We all have a calendar and a schedule that we keep. And I want to talk about, like, how can we put margin into our schedule? How can we say, I could, but I won't? Here's the thing. To get there, to be able to say, I could, but I won't, starts with discovering one very important but somewhat complex idea that's baked into the universe, and that's where we're going to start next week. Because if we don't capture, if we don't fully bring ourselves to an awareness of this one idea, it will just be simply like we'll be going against the flow. Like I just, I believe this principle that we're going to talk about next week is the key to margin in every area of our lives. That if we can get a hold of a, a, re, a reality that exists and we can just know it and understand it, we really can get behind and start applying margins. That's where we're going to start next week is by looking at this one big secret. And what we have to do as we live this out, is we have to start to redefine progress in different terms. We have to redefine progress not in terms of wealth, not in terms of those physical things like, oh, now I have a new phone and I've progressed, but we have to define progress in our lives as a progression of virtue, right? That I've progressed in my character. So I'm no longer seeing progress in terms of wealth, right? a wealth of knowledge, right, or a wealth of things, but I'm starting to see it in terms of virtue. I'm growing and I'm progressing in my humility, in my meekness, in my love, because Jesus said that's what the blessed life was, right, the divine life. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus says, blessed are those, right, that word that he uses there for blessed would have been used to talk about this is what the life of the gods is like. That was, the, that was the word that was used there. If you want to live the life of the gods and the life of Jesus, when he talks about it, has nothing to do with what progress promises, but it's all about virtue. And I think in our lives, as we start to apply this idea, as we get the, the internal power and we gain some of the, I think, philosophical and spiritual truths to help us recognize how, what is like fighting against margin, what is propelling the idea of progress, and you start to put margin into your life, you know what happens? Something so amazing happens. Relationships flourish in the margins. Your relationships will flourish, and that's where it flourishes. See, like margin is where relationships are built. It's where they're sustained. It's where they're started. It's because that's where there's the space, what? To be present. 
Y'all have done that. You've met somebody, and then all of a sudden, it's like you're supposed to meet them for coffee, but you've got the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And they start to share with you something that's going on in their heart and their life, and all you're thinking about is, I got to get to the next thing. And there's some relational damage that happens in that moment. But relationships flourish. And I happen to think that relationships are actually the purpose of life, in a sense. Right? It's what produces the most joy in our lives. It's not our physical stuff, but it's our healthy relationships. It's, our, it's when we are emotionally connected with one another, when we're loving and serving, and bringing hope and experiencing hope, when we know we have people in the midst of our pain who are present with us. Like, that's the joy. I think that's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 20, like, this is it. Like, the whole thing. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. I'm a broken record. Love God and love others. And everything else gets in the way of that. And so if you could just live under one law, that's it. But if you don't have the space to follow the law, you can't do it. Because we're busy enamored by the con of progress. And at the end of the day, that margin brings a holistic sense of peace into our lives. Because you've heard it and you've experienced it where people have said, oh, I might not have this, I might not have that, I might not have this, but I have this person who loves me. I have this person who's with me. I have this family and I'm the richest person in the world. So we know it at some level, but man, that con just keeps us going and keeps us going and keeps us going. So as we wrap up, what is it that God's inviting you into today as we start on this journey together? I think church community is a space of exploration and a space of journey. It's not a space of come and hear what you're supposed to know, but we're on this journey together. And we're going to explore this topic that at times is going to feel convicting, like, oh, yikes. And so what is it that God's inviting you into? I just want to, we'll take a few minutes here and and that's just such a beautiful way to say this idea of margin, this con of progress, what do I sense God inviting me into over the next six weeks? I hope that maybe you sense just, I need to make it a priority. I need to put enough margin in my life to be present for the next six weeks on this topic. Whether, whatever present looks like for you. That could be being in the building, that could be tuning in online, live, that could be listening later on, experiencing community. But I'm going to commit my heart to this for the next six weeks. And I'm going to open it up to what God might have for me. Maybe this morning you're sensing a little bit and you hear God inviting you to reread or to read that Sermon on the Mount again by Jesus, to just remind it, to be reminded of what real life is. Real life, eternal life is the word oftentimes used in the Bible, but it's real life, the real life that Jesus is offering. So that's Matthew 5 through 7. Maybe just read that this week. And here's the deal. Maybe you're here today, and as I've been talking, like you're, you just sense that you felt it physically, like, I needed to be here because things are out of control. I'm so overloaded with family. I'm so overloaded with work. I've got this that I've got to be in, and I've got these kids that are doing this. And, and it resonated somewhere deep in the true self today. Maybe you're just at your limit. And you showed up here today and you were at your limit with church, you're at your limit with God, you're at your limit with whatever. And I want to encourage you to just take a breath. And I want to encourage you to check the box on the back of your Connect card to just say, man, I'd like to talk with a care minister. 
because I'm just, I just need somebody to just process some of this stuff with. And we have a great group of care ministers that would love to do that. And this song that we're going to close with while you finish filling out your Connect card and get your offering, your donations ready, is just this moment to realize that there is one who's navigated this world, who can guide us, that spirit that we can choose in faith to live in and choose in faith to put limits on ourselves so that we can flourish in our relationships, that we can experience real joy. So take a moment, breathe. Partway through the song, our room hosts will come and they'll pick up the baskets on the table. They'll receive the offering from the sides. If you're in the back, you can use the orange kiosk to drop your uh, connect card, your giving envelope. And I'll be back out for our blessing for the week. But just take a moment, breathe a little bit, and then we'll get out of here.